I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 41 through 52 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there and turn to page 806 in the Pew Bible. That's 806 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then uh, please feel free to take that Pew Bible with you. And that's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use that for your great benefit. I did promise a while back that we would, we would look at the adolescent years of Jesus here in Luke. Luke is the only one that talks about Jesus as a boy, and I wanted to keep that promise before we get back to Deuteronomy. So uh, today we're going to finish up this section, this first section of Deuteronomy, or excuse me, this first section of Luke, and uh, look at the boyhood time of Jesus, the only scripture that we have on Jesus as a, a young boy and what we can learn from his life. So, you know, I remember back a, a few years ago, uh, there was a little children's class that we had in a, a previous church, and we had to, it was one of those that we had to kind of join several ages together. It was, we just didn't have a lot of children, and so we had to join together a lot of different age groups, and the teacher in there was doing her very best to kind of uh, hit somewhere in the middle to teach these different aged children and uh, she put together an activity for the kids and as she presented the activity to the kids there was an older child in the room he looked at it and says I don't want to do that that's for babies right uh, and we see that right with kids as they start to get older they they don't want to be treated like a baby you know they want to treat be treated like a, a young boy and then a young man I mean we have an innate desire to want to mature as we grow up we don't want to stay babies we want to grow up and be big boys and big girls right we want to be like daddy we want to be like mama and so we want to grow well the same should be the case for us as Christians Right? As Christians, we should have a desire to grow, to mature in the faith. Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't have that desire, and so many people uh, remain children in the faith, even though they should be adults, mature in the faith. Paul even gets on to uh, a church there for being babies in the faith when they should be mature. They should be eating the meat of the Word instead of the milk of the Word. So we should strive for, we should have this desire to grow in maturity in our faith. And we see Jesus, he had that same desire. He had that desire. And, and he's pursuing spiritual maturity. Now, you're, you're questioning, well, now, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait. Jesus had to grow in spiritual maturity? Yes, he did. Right? And this is one of those great mysteries of the incarnation that's really kind of hard for our little finite minds to, to wrap around. But when we think about the, the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus Christ was fully God, right? He was 100% God, 100% deity. He had all the attributes of, of his Father. He was 100% God. 
Yet when he came and took on human flesh, and even now today, he is still 100% man. 100% man, that's 200%. I know, it doesn't work, right? It doesn't compute in our minds. But that's what he was and is. He is 100% God and 100% man. Now, in his divinity, Jesus is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He was with God in the beginning, and, and when God said, all right, let's create the world, Jesus spoke the words, let there be. And there was. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Yet in the incarnation, when he took on human flesh and was born of the Virgin Mary, he was limited in his power. He got tired. He had to lay down and take a a nap, right? He had to lay down and rest. He, he He grew weary and worn from a day's work. And so in his incarnation, he was limited to to his power. How that is, he was omnipotent, yet he was limited in his incarnation. I don't understand it, but Scripture tells us that's how it was. In his divinity, he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at one time. He's here, right? He's across the world in Africa. He is everywhere, yet in his incarnation, he was limited to time and space, right? He had a body. And he was limited to that body. And in his divinity, he is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows all things. I mean, he was from the beginning with the Father. I mean, he knows all things. There's nothing hidden from him. Yet, in the incarnation, he was limited in knowledge. He had to learn, he had to grow. In fact, our text today, the very last verse of our text today, uh, verse 52 tells us, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He increased, he matured. And so he had to grow in his knowledge of Scripture. When, When he was born, even though he was the author of Scripture, in his incarnation, he, he set that knowledge aside somehow, and he became fully like one of us, and he had to learn things. He had to learn his ABCs and his one, two, threes, and he had to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to do all those. Even though he was the author of language, he had to learn how to talk, right? He didn't just come out of Mary and, and start saying, hey, Mama, how's things going, right? He, he had to learn how to talk. He had to do those things, and he had to learn scripture even though he was the author of scripture as a as a human being in his humanity he had to learn scripture and so we see today that he's sitting at the the teacher's feet learning learning scripture learning theology now he was well advanced right he he had a an upper edge there it seems but but yet he still had to learn he had to mature in his spirituality and his spiritual walk Now, his maturing looks a little bit different than ours because we understand that Jesus, in his divinity, he was was and is holy. By his very nature, he is holy. Part of our maturing in spirituality, becoming spiritually mature, part of our growth and maturity is to become more holy. Jesus didn't have that problem. He was holy. He is holy. 
His spiritual maturity had to do with that learning, knowing Scripture, learning Scripture, learning theology, knowing how to apply it. He had to learn those things and develop in that way. He was holy. He is holy. But he had to learn in his humanity how to, he had to learn to uh, learn and apply Scripture. And so that's how he, he, he did it. That's how he matured. We have to learn Scripture, learn theology, and how to apply it, and how to live it out. We have to become holy, even as the Lord our God is holy. But still, we learn from Jesus the necessity to grow in maturity, and even shows us here in our text how to, how to do that, how to carry that out, some, some things that we can learn here from him. So today, I want, us, I want us to see this from our text, that we should grow in maturity, grow in spiritual maturity by following Jesus' example. We need to grow in spiritual maturity by following Jesus' example. And in this this instance in, in Jesus' childhood, we find three keys to growing in spiritual maturity. Three keys to growing in spiritual maturity. And I'm going to throw in a fourth along the way, but you'll see how that works out. But three keys to growing in spiritual maturity. So as we get started this morning, if you found your place there in Luke chapter 2, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Luke 2, starting in verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And as his mother, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have, be, have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word, your holy, inspired, and inerrant word, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us from it today, Lord. Help us to to see Jesus first and foremost. Let us understand more about Jesus. And Lord, as we learn more about Jesus, Lord, teach us how we are to become more like Jesus. Teach us how to become holy. Teach us how to grow in spiritual maturity. Help us to understand, Lord. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated.
So as we begin to, to dig into this episode here, this event in Jesus' life, we notice here that the devout parents of Jesus, that's uh, something that we've already established. His parents were very devout Jews. They, were, uh, they kept the law the best they could, right? They, they made sure that they did everything according to the law. And here again, we see that they are devout. They go down every year for the Passover. Now, in Judaism, there were three major feasts and festivals throughout the year that Jews would, would typically go to. There was the, the Passover, there was Pentecost, and there was the, the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. So they, those were your three major feasts, and in those feasts, it was a call for all the Jews to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Now, by the first century, because Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire, it wasn't feasible for them to return to Jerusalem three times a year. So uh, typically, they, they tried to make it a point for most of the Jews to come in on the Passover. That was the big feast, right? That was the major feast. That was the feast that celebrated God's deliverance, his salvation of Israel out of slavery, out of bondage in the land of Egypt. And so this was the major feast and festival for the Jews. So the devout Jew always tried to make that journey to Jerusalem for, uh, for the Passover. And here, Joseph and Mary, they're devout Jews, and they make that journey. Now, it was about a week's journey. I, I saw different, uh, just looking at commentaries and, and different things, I saw different opinions on how long it took, but it was anywhere from five to eight days. So about a week's journey, it would take them to come down to Jerusalem, observe the feast. It was a, a week-long uh, festival, and so they would have been there a week and then go back home. And here they're bringing Jesus. They're bringing him with them. Now, it, it, the text uh, makes a point to point out that he, he was 12 years old. And there's significance here. There's actually significance in this number, that he was 12. You see, uh, a, Jewish, a young Jewish boy, when he turns 13, what happens? He becomes a man. 13 is a milestone in Judaism for young boys. That's the point in which young boys step up and they become men. And, and you've heard this term before, I'm sure. Uh, today they, they celebrate bar mitzvah. You've heard that, bar mitzvah. Bar is the Hebrew word for son, and mitzvah is the Hebrew word for covenant. They become sons of the covenant at age 13. And that's when they, they are able to come into the, the religious celebrations and the, the sacrifices and all of that and start participating, take an active role in those sacrifices, in those celebrations. Well, in the first century, it was recommended by many of the teachers that fathers bring their 12-year-old sons with them to the temple, with them into the religious ceremonies, and let them observe, ask questions, kind of get a feel for things before the next year came along and, and they were kind of thrown into the activities of it. And so that's what it seems to be indicating. Luke seems to be indicating that. This was a time that Jesus went not only with his parents, but now he is going in with his father. And that could have been that he had been there at other times in his life. Perhaps they brought him 
uh, all 12 years since he was a little little baby they, they could have brought him uh, to celebrate the Passover but before 12 years old he would have had to stay with Mary out in the outer court of the temple complex now he's getting to go in with his dad and with Joseph to the inner court and to watch the lamb being presented by Joseph to the priest and to watch the priest sacrifice the lamb and prepare the lamb for the feast he's observing all this and I wonder do you wonder that this I wonder as Jesus is watching this obviously he's becoming aware of of his calling he's becoming aware to his purpose in life as he's watching the lamb being presented to the priest as he's watching the lamb being sacrificed for the Passover celebration, I wonder if it's starting to go across his mind that not only is he to present the Passover lamb, but that he is to become the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, the lamb of God who would redeem God's people and bring them out of slavery. I wonder, is all of this starting to come to him? Is all of this starting to register to him as he is observing all of this, this ceremony for the very first time? But here Jesus is. He's going into the temple with his father, his earthly father, Joseph, and he is watching all of these things. And the Passover meal is prepared, and they celebrate, and they, they go through the week-long celebration after the Passover and they take part in all of this because his parents are devout parents, right? They're devout uh, Jews, and they do all of this. And then at the end of the week, they're ready to go home. And so they load everything up, they get pre prepared to go, and they join the caravan headed back to Nazareth. Now, this would have been quite the caravan. It would have been a, a huge caravan because all of the Jews of Nazareth who came down to participate in the Passover, they were in that caravan. And Nazareth was kind of a small town, so it was probably everybody in Nazareth plus a few other kind of uh, uh, close-by neighbors to them who would join into this caravan because in that day it wasn't always safe to travel alone, so they often they often traveled in big groups and so that's what we have here this is a, a large caravan of people who are leaving jerusalem headed back to nazareth that's why you say well how did they lose track of jesus it wasn't just like five or six folks this was hundreds possibly of people in this caravan going back to nazareth and jesus here he's in this kind of uh, halfway position right he's becoming a man but not quite there yet and so in that day when the caravans would leave typically what would take place with the the women they would kind of travel up front they would be in front of the caravan with all the kiddos and, and and they would be up there and doing their thing and then the men would be back there in the back back of the back of the caravan jesus is in this peculiar situation He's not quite a man, but you know, he's not quite with the kids. He's, he's somewhere in between. So he could have been up front with Mary, hanging out with Mary and all the other cousins and nephews and all that kind of stuff up there in the front of the caravan. Or he could have been back there in the back with Joseph, right? Following him around, seeing what the men do, uh, taking all that in. And so when they're going here, they're... Joseph thinks, well, well, he must be up there with Mary. And Mary thinks, well, he must be back there with Joseph. 
So they travel a day's journey. You remember, it's a week's journey. So they travel a day's journey out, and they stop, and they make camp, and they get prepared to settle in for the night. Joseph meets back up with Mary, and they look at each other. Hey, where's Jesus? Well, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. Well, maybe he's with Aunt Sue. And they just start going around to everybody in the caravan. Hey, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen Jesus. And they're trying to find Jesus. Can you imagine these parents? They've been traveling a day, and now they can't find Jesus, and they're just frantic. Where's Jesus? Well, they're tired, and they're weary from a day's travel, right? They've been walking for a whole day. It's not safe to travel at night, especially by yourself, so they have to settle in. They get a, a restless night sleep, right? And then in the morning, as soon as they possibly can, they get up and they head back to Jerusalem. A day's journey, right? It takes them a day to get there. By the time they get to Jerusalem, everything's shut down. Everybody's inside. There's nothing for them to do. So again, another restless night trying to get some rest, wondering where Jesus is. Finally, that third day, they get up, they start going through Jerusalem. They hit all the places that a 12-year-old boy should be, right? Uh, the, down here at the playground, down here with all these boys in the market. I mean, they hit all of these places that your typical 12-year-old would be. And finally, they make it to the temple. And lo and behold, where is Jesus? He is right there in the temple he is in the temple, and not only is he in the temple, he's not just hanging around in the temple, he is there in the temple, and he is sitting at the feet of all the teachers. Remember, Passover had just happened. And so Passover was a wonderful time for all of the great teachers, the uh, Jewish teachers, to come in and to set up camp there in the temple complex and teach. I mean, they had a great audience and so at this time, all of those great teachers, they're still there. They're still teaching there in the temple complex. And Jesus is right there in their midst. He's sitting at their feet. He's asking questions. He's giving answers. He's studying God's word, right? That's how they study God's word. They didn't have a, a Bible, a family Bible sitting up on the mantle at home. No, they didn't have that back then. They, they, typically, families didn't have a copy of Scripture. They had to go to the synagogue or they had to go to the temple to study Scripture. And there Jesus was. He was in the temple studying Scripture, learning theology, getting all of these things figured out. And there his parents find him. And, of course, Mary asked the question, Son, where have you been? Why have you done this to us? man? We have been just searching frantically for you. And Jesus looks to them, and what does he say? And they, these are the very first words of Jesus, right, in Luke's gospel. So these are important words. We need to take note of these words, and these words are loaded with with wonderful meaning it says there look at verse 49 and he said to them he said to his parents why were you looking for me did you not know that i must be in my father's house did you not know i must be in my father's 
house. Now, here we learn a couple of things just in this, this little, little sentence. There's a couple of things that we learn here, important things that we learn here. First of all, we understand here, we see here that Jesus knew his identity. Jesus knew his identity. He knew that he was the Son of God. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? My father's house? Now, normal Jews didn't talk like that, right? Normal Jews didn't call God their father. Now, they might say that he's the father of Israel. I might refer to him the father of creation, kind of in this general sense. But no one would dare call God their personal father. And Jesus got in trouble for this, right? This is one of the main reasons that the Jews sought to kill Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 18 tells us that plain and clear. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And so here's Jesus, 12 years old, and he has this understanding, God is my father. God was his father. He was the son of God incarnate. He was the son of God incarnate. And that drove him, right? Because of his identity, because of who he was, that directed his life. That directed his life. And let me tell you, if we, we want to grow in spiritual maturity, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, learn this from Jesus, you need to understand your identity in Christ. You need to understand your identity in Christ. In Christ. Now, in Christ is important. In Christ is important. In Christ you are a child of God. In Christ, you are a child of God. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, received Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In Christ, you are a child of God. Now, the key is that you must be in Christ. In Christ. How are you in Christ? By exactly as the text said, you must believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life in your place and died on Calvary's cross for your sins and was raised again. Believe in Jesus, but not just believe that, right? Not just acknowledge that, that that's true, but trust in that. Trust in Jesus. Submit your life to Him. That's what faith is. It's not just kind of, okay, yeah, I believe that's true. Well, Scripture tells us that even the demons believe in Jesus, but they don't tremble at His name. Right? They, they don't bow to Him. They don't serve Him. They serve their own selfish means and desires. To, to tr be in Jesus 
is to trust in him and submit your life to him. You have to believe in him as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but Lord and Savior. He must be the Lord of your life. Man, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to him, you are not a child of God. You're a child of God's wrath. You're a child of destruction. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. Everyone who is outside of Jesus is a child of God's wrath. But in Jesus, in Jesus, you are a child of God. That's why we call ourselves Christians, right? We bear the name of Christ. We put off that old name. We are in Christ. We bear his name in this world. Boy, that should determine how we live our lives. When we go out into the world, when we live and we, 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 we confront our neighbors and we're talking to our neighbors and our friends and, and we're doing life, we should, who we are in Christ should determine how we live. It should drive how we live. You know, I was always taught as a kid growing up that I should do nothing to defame my family name, right? That I should live honorably to, to bring honor to my family name. How much, so, how much more so should we Christians live up to our name? How much more should we strive to, to bring glory and honor to God as His children in Christ Jesus? And if we are in Christ, we need to understand our identity in Him and allow that identity to guide our lives, to drive our lives. Notice what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 say, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. See, you were those things, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You bear a new name. If you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you must know your identity in Christ. You are a child of God. Well, not only did Jesus know his identity... But Jesus also shows us here that he knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. Notice what he says again. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Do you not know I should be in my father's house? Now, if you're reading the King James or New King James, it reads a little different there. It says, did you not know that or did you not know I must be about my father's business? And so the question there, you, you may ask, well, why is your translation different from mine? That seems to be a significant difference there. Well, the, the reason is, is the, the Greek is not so clear. And, and so in the, the Greek text, the original Greek text, for house and business, there's one little word. That's the word toys, which means this, this. 
And so uh, kind of a, a literal rendering of this verse would be this. Did you not know that in this of my father I must be? In this of my father. And so as we translate the text, you've got to determine what's this. What's this referring to? And a uh, majority of translators take that to be where Jesus is. Because that's the question of the text. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And where do they find him? In the temple. And so most translators will translate that in my father's house. Referring to the temple of God. The King James, New King James translators, they opted for what Jesus was doing. This, my father's business. And so they translated it that way. I wonder if Luke wasn't a little vague on purpose. Uh, it kind of has this connotation here of being in the father's house about the father's business because Jesus wasn't just sitting in the, the temple idly, right? He wasn't just hanging out. He was there with purpose in mind. He was doing something for the father and so you have this this kind of a dual meaning i think that jesus was there in his father's house about his father's business and that's really the the key the the most important term in that sentence is not toys right it's not that or this it's this other word and it's the word the he, uh, greek word day day it is necessary or must that is the most important word in this little sentence day it is necessary jesus is is understanding here even at the age of 12 that there is a divine necessity on his life god has a purpose and a plan for his life and he is on mission for god in fact, that word day, it is necessary, appears eight times in the Gospel of Luke. It's very important throughout the Gospel of Luke. It's once here. This is the first time it is, appears. I must be in my Father's house. But then let me just read through the other references here. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well for I was sent for this purpose he has divine necessity upon his life Luke 9 22 saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised Luke 13 33 nevertheless I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem Luke 19 5 and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today Luke 24, 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Luke twenty two thirty seven. for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me and he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Luke 24, 26, was it not necessary that the, son, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus understood there was a divine necessity upon his life. He had a God-given 
purpose on his life, and he was determined to fulfill that purpose. His whole life was about getting to Jerusalem at the right time and be crucified for our sins and resurrected for our justification. Jesus knew his purpose, and his purpose drove his life. Jesus was driven by his divine purpose. If you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you must know your God-given purpose. You must know your God-given purpose. And what is your God-given purpose? A number one. Your number one. We may have different purposes in life, right? There, there may be other side purposes. I, I've been called to be a, a preacher, and this is my, one of my purposes in life. And I've got to do this. You've got other purposes in your life, but your number one most important purpose in life is not all those other things. Your number one purpose in life, if you're a child of God, is to be like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus. It's that simple. Your number one purpose in life, first and foremost, is to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he, God, foreknew, God also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's purpose for you. He called you into the faith. And before the foundations of the earth, the text says he predestined you as a child of God to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Your number one purpose, your number one God-given purpose above every other thing is to be like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus. That means if you're called to be a teacher in your vocation... Yes, that's a God-given calling, yet in that, you are to be like Jesus. You're to be like Jesus to those kids that you teach. If you're a doctor, you're, you, you go to that profession, you're called to that profession, but in that profession, you're to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus to your patients, to your employees. You're to be like Jesus. Whatever your call, vocational call in life is that, is, that takes nothing away from your number one call from God. You're to be like Jesus. God wants you to be spiritually mature. He wants you to be like Jesus. And he's even giving you the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to start that work and to complete that work. Be like Jesus. That's the one purpose that overarches every other thing that you're called to do in life. You're to be like Jesus. And how are you to be like Jesus? Well, you start by sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus, studying his word, seeing how he lived, seeing how he, what he did, the things that he did, uh, all of that. You're to sit at the feet of Jesus just like uh, Mary 
right? Martha was all busy about doing this thing and that thing, and, and Mary was there at the feet of Jesus. Martha came along and said, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. I'm busy. I'm doing all of this work trying to provide a meal for everybody. And there Mary is. She's just laying down on the floor at your feet. She's doing nothing. She's just being lazy. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, you're busy about so many things. But Mary, she's doing what's necessary. What's necessary is to be like me. To study me. To learn from me. That is the one thing that's necessary. And even Jesus, right? A 12-year-old boy, Jesus. He's there in the temple and he's sitting at the feet of the, the rabbis and he's learning Scripture. And that's how they did it, right? The, 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 the teachers would sit there and teach and the students, they would ask questions. Jesus asked questions. They would ask questions of the teachers. And oftentimes the teachers would turn the question around and with, they'd answer the question with the question because their, their goal is not just to answer the question. Their goal is to get their students to think and to learn how to rationalize and, and, and learn this stuff on their own, learn to think on their own. So they would return the question with the question and Jesus' answers, yes, he had the upper hand here, right? He was Jesus. And so they marveled at his answers, but he was learning he was being discipled by studying Scripture, learning to apply it. How do you be like Jesus? You sit at the feet of Jesus. How do you sit at the feet of Jesus? You take this book that He has left us and you study it. This is how Jesus teaches us. This is, this, this, this is His Word, right? He teaches us right here in the Bible. So we can't sit at the physical feet of Jesus, but we can sit at the feet of His Word. We can learn it and apply it to our lives. That's why it's so important for us to take advantage of every opportunity to study Scripture. I'm just going to say, if you're a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, you should take every opportunity to study Scripture, to learn it, and learn how to apply it to your life. You should be here to take advantage of our life groups. Be a part there, because you're going to study Scripture together. You're going to learn how to apply it together. You should be here on every Sunday morning that you're able, up and able. You should be here in our worship service, learning Scripture as the Scripture is proclaimed and preached, you should take advantage of our, our Sunday night uh, uh, supper clubs because we're not just getting together to eat and fellowship, we're getting together to study Scripture together, to learn it and apply it to our lives. You should take advantage of Wednesday nights where we're learning Scripture together. Yeah, you know, I've made it a mission that at every turn possible that this church learns Scripture together, right? We're studying God's Word together because that's our purpose. We're to be like Jesus. And the only way we're going to be like Jesus is studying and applying God's Word. So, dear friend, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to fulfill God's purpose for your life, Study at the feet of Jesus. Study and apply His Word.
Jesus knew his identity and his purpose. Now notice, Jesus' understanding of his identity and purpose led him to submissive obedience. Jesus' understanding of his identity and his purpose led him to submissive obedience. And, and this is great. His parents did not understand the saying, this is verse 50, that he spoke to them and he went down, verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. In, his, in her heart. Jesus was submissive. He was submissive. Uh, he practiced submissive obedience. First and foremost, he practiced submissive obedience to God as Father, right? He was obedient to God. He was obedient to God's Word. Because Scripture tells us, first and foremost, and we'll get back to this next week again when we return to Deuteronomy, and we're going to uh, start off in, in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments. And commandment number one is what? Have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. And that has to do with the authority of God. You're, you're not to have any other authority over you over God, right? God is the supreme authority over you. Jesus understood this. This is why he was about his father's business. This is why he was doing all the things he did, because God was his ultimate authority. He submitted to the authority of the Father in his life. But not only that, he exercised that authority or he exercised that uh, obedience by being submissive to his earthly authorities, the earthly authorities that God had appointed over his life. He was obedient to his parents. Thou shalt honor your father and your mother. And so Jesus was obedient to those earthly authorities over him that God had ordained over him. He was submissive and obedient to his father's will and those divine ordained authorities over him. And dear friend, if we want to be, if we want to grow in our own spiritual maturity, we must live in surrendered obedience. We must live in surrendered obedience, obedience to God's authority over our lives first and foremost. We're obedient to God. God takes the priority. God takes priority over family, over governments, over anything else. God is ultimate authority. I will have no, you shall have no other gods over the Lord our God. So we surrender in obedience to God's authority. Second, we must surrender in obedience to uh, divinely ordained authorities. Kiddos, living under your parents' house, under their roof, you're to submit to your parents' obedience, or you're to submit to your parents' rule over your life. As long as their rule don't, don't uh, conflict with God's rule, then you're to submit to your parents. As long as you're under their authority, you're sub to submit to their authority in your life. Submit to the church and the church leadership. I mean, we, we come together as a church, we are submitted to one another we're surrendered to one another and we give one another authority to say 
hey man you've got something going on here that you shouldn't have going on here right we have communed together we have covenanted together to help one another grow in christ and so when the church comes to us and say hey man you're kind of messing up here i'm just concerned about this and we're to submit to that we're to submit to that we're to submit to to governmental authorities as long as their, their law doesn't go against God or against God, our God-given conscience, we're to submit to government authority over us. Again, that's limited because as the government gets corrupted and, and they start going against God's word, when they start going against our God-given uh, convictions, then we have to practice civil disobedience now be mindful it is civil disobedience not like the disobedience that we see today violent disobedience we we're not called to violence we're not called to riot because we don't get our way like we see happen in our culture but when the government goes against god and our god-given convictions then we are to practice civil disobedience we can't go against God. But as long as their rule is in accordance to God's will, we're to surrender in obedience to the government. All of those God-ordained authorities over our lives, perhaps you work for someone, you're to surrender in obedience to your employer. Jesus certainly lived a surrendered life. He lived in surrendered obedience to his father. He lived in surrendered obedience to any God-ordained authorities over his life. If we want to grow in maturity, we've got to follow Jesus' example. We've got to live that out. Grow in spiritual maturity by following Jesus' example. Let your identity in Christ define who you are. You're no longer that wretched sinner that you were before Christ. Oh, you're still going to sin. You're still going to have your failings, but now you are in Christ. Let your identity in Christ define you. Let your purpose, let God's purpose for your life drive you. Every part of your life should be driven by God's purpose for your life. To be like Jesus Christ and live in surrendered obedience to God's will. Follow Jesus' example. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, tells us, gives us again this example from jesus have this mind among yourselves in you have this mind in you which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god he was god in in the flesh god incarnate did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped But he emptied himself, but taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. Grow in spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the example that we do have in Jesus Christ. Who even as a, a 12-year-old boy was defined by his identity as your son. He was driven by your purpose for his life. And his identity and purpose led him to submissive obedience throughout his life. Father, we need to grow in maturity, each and every one of us. Wherever we are, Lord, we, we never stop growing. We never stop maturing until Christ returns and makes us glorified. So, Lord, give us that desire. Help us, Lord, to mature in Jesus, to be people of your word, surrendering and submitting to your will for us. And certainly, Father, if there's those today, they're never trusted in Jesus. They're children, children of wrath, not children of God. Lord, I pray today that you would impress upon their hearts the wonderful gift that Jesus has provided for them. May they turn to Christ and trust in him and begin this journey to spiritual maturity in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.